Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey guys, it's Anna. How you doing? Welcome to After Party Pod. I welcome if you're new, welcome back if you're old. I am reporting post Unite to Face Addiction rally in DC. I went, it was fantastic. It was pretty spectacular, and I'm a bit of a cynic. And, you know, if you don't know about it, they it was founded by Greg Williams, the director of the Anonymous People documentary, and he really pulled off quite a thing. Obama spoke by video, but also Patrick Kennedy, Michael Botticelli, the director of the U.S. Office of National Drug Control Policy, Steven Tyler and Sheryl Crow played. This was no joke. Tens of thousands of people gathered, and I was one of them. And it was a great way to, I got to meet all these sober blockers out there. If you guys are listening, shout out. A lot of them have their own podcasts. Do you know that? Do you know how many sober bloggers and recovery podcasts there are out there? Because I don't. But there was a gathering where I met a bunch of them. Do y'all know about Chris Aguirre from Since Right Now, I Fly at Night? Laura from I Fly at Night, Holly from Hip Sobriety, Nancy from Last Call. These are all things you should be checking out. We actually have on our website a list on After Party, a list of resources, and all of those bloggers are listed on that page. So you should go check that out. Anyway, and I got to run into a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a long time, uh, the founders, the co-founders of In The Rooms, the guy you're about to hear on this podcast, uh, Joe Schrank, the founder of The Fix, who I used to work with, a whole bunch of people, Tommy Rosen, you know him, he was on the podcast. But regardless, that happened. And remember how I said, oh, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to get these two people on the podcast, but I'm not going to tell you who they are in case it doesn't pan out? Well, didn't pan out. I don't know, maybe I put that negativity out there and that's why it happened, though I don't think so. What really happened is that one of them, we couldn't, I was only in New York for basically 24 hours before. We just couldn't work out of time. The other one, we did work out of time and then there was this torrential, there was supposed to be Hurricane Joaquin that was going to ruin everything and uh, hit New York and D.C., especially D.C., and really affect this rally. And it didn't, but there was a torrential, horrible downpour in Manhattan right when I needed to get to the meetings that I was there for, and I couldn't make it to any of them. It has to do with no cabs and Hopstop, the, the app that gets me around on the subways because I never actually learned how to do the subways, even though I've lived in New York twice for a total of four years. It all broke down. My shoes got soaked. I had to get new ones. I got blisters, the whole thing. You're not my therapist. Why am I telling you all of this? I'm not even going to tell you who those people were because I want to try to get them. Oh, yeah. So it'll happen. I got to go to New York when it's not storming for more than a day. That's pretty much it. I'm back. I also went to Esalen. I don't know if you guys know about that, but it's only the most beautiful place on earth. I went to a meditation retreat with my mom, and it was meditating outside in nature, uh, something I didn't know because I was so busy. And my mom and I are fans of this Buddhist meditation teacher, Mark Coleman, and we knew he was leading it. So I just said yes. I didn't know I was going to be sitting outside meditating. And it was so incredible. Basically, we would do sitting meditations, and then we would do walking meditations, and then we did a nature walk. We did this thing where one person, in this case my mother, leads you around with your eyes closed and has you feel different things in nature. You feel different leaves and different rocks with your eyes closed. 
All I know is that by the last, by the very end of this retreat, I saw a bunch of monarch butterflies flying together and I cried. And I don't only cry about things that are sad in my own life. I don't even cry. I don't cry because I'm moved. Anyway, two days back in society and all that serenity seems like it may have gone, but it was wonderful while it lasted and maybe I'll get it back and... I'm going to just go ahead and introduce the guest. His name is Jameson Monroe. He is the owner of Newport Academy, which is in Orange County. He now has another one in Connecticut. And it's listed as the one of the top 10 rehabs on Rehab Reviews, our parent site. And he, But he is much more than that. He has uh, two sober high schools. He's a kid, too. He's not young. He's young. He's in his early 30s. He's over about 10 years, he says in the interview. And he is a great advocate for recovery. He was highly involved in Unite to Face Addiction. He goes on CNN and HLN and talks about addiction and recovery. And he was on a panel at the Aspen Ideas Festival. The guy gets around in all the right ways. And we had met back when I worked at The Fix and had lost touch. And I think he is a... A very interesting guy with a lot to say who's doing a lot for the cause. So, this is Jameson Monroe. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Yeah, so we were just saying about you do watch yourself because you want to sort of see how you did on things. Is that? Yeah, totally. I don't know about you, but I have a thing where, is your phone definitely off, by the way? Yeah, I mean, it's on silent. Where, that's good enough. You don't need to do airplane mode. We're not flying. But where I finish, especially if you're in that room by yourself. Yeah, totally. And you go, oh my God, I just sucked. Yeah. That was so bad. And then you sort of have this realization that, they ask you again to come back. So maybe it's not as bad as <laughs> yeah. you thought. Well, it just, it moves so fast and you've got so much to say. Like you get a topic and you're like, you're going on TV at six and it's like 11 a.m. And you're like, okay, what is it? And it's like, I've got all these notes going in there. And then like they come to you and you've got like 30 seconds to just blah. I know. And then you're like, when it's over, you're like, what did I just say? What so, happened? Yeah, so then what you have to go back and watch the tape to see what you actually said. And it's always better than you think. It is. Yeah, it is. It Do you, is. Okay, so you've been on a bunch of things, mostly CNN shows. What? Like CNN and their their stepsister station. HLN. HLN. Yeah. Their, their redheaded stepchild. Uh-huh. What shows specifically? Jane Villas Mitchell. She's gone. Did you know that? Um, I think so, yeah. Lovely Jane. Yeah, no more. Yeah. Um, I, I was never on that with you, but I was on it. for animal rights. Oh, is that, is that what she's I doing? I think so. I'm on her email list. So. Okay. Well, look. As, she I'm, might, as I am on the after party email list. You know, which was a glorious list. thing to learn. Yes. To recap our, like, exciting relationship, why not? Because, okay, so we met. We sat next together at the prisons. We sat together at the prison awards. I want to say that was 2012, you think? No, probably maybe even 2011. Ugh, God, everything happened so long ago. Yeah. So upsetting. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, the In the Rooms guys had a table. I was working at The Fix. You were you. (laughs) And we sat at this table together. And because I had heard about you from Joe Schrank and possibly Mayor. Maybe Jed. Who's Jed again? You know Jed Wallace? Don't know Jed. I've okay. never heard about you from Jed. Okay. I can guarantee that. And so, and I had heard about Newport, but I didn't expect this young, dashing Southern gentleman. And, and so I was very surprised because you're still only like 34, right? I'm 34, yeah. You're expecting gray hair and a beard. Jameson maybe Monroe, yeah, even I with know. the junior, does not sound like you were, I guess, 29. I've had people walk up to me at conferences and say, you know, like at a booth or whatever, yeah. you know, and be like, is Jameson here? Yeah, and I go, I'm sure. And I go, I'm Jameson. And they literally laugh in my face. Right. And I'm like, I'll be right back. I'll go find him for you. <laughs> I'm sure that must happen all the time. It does. It does. People are surprised. But I don't see it that way. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm a, still a little late to the game, honestly. That's crazy. I mean, when I look at it, though, like, I'm, I'm right on time. And like, yeah. that comes through a lot of, like, 
meditation and stuff like that, knowing that like everything's unfolding exactly as it should be. But yeah, I mean, I feel so blessed to have like found my mission yeah. and my life's purpose at the age that I did, which was arguably 19 and then really got to start working at that at, at 24, 25. Yeah. Um, so 10 years ago. Yeah. It's incredibly early. Nobody finds it by then. I feel like I found mine really early and I was 30, yeah. basically. There you go. But and now you're 32, right? It's weird. No, actually, time has gone backwards for oh, me. Oh, you're 29. No, I'm 26. Oh, oh I'm this so weird sorry. Thing. I know I'm you're my senior. So sorry. Um, yeah, no, but I do think that when you waste a lot of years, I, I totally am with you that everything happens exactly the way it's meant to. Yeah. But it's hard not to feel like you're late to a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the time you wasted, you were a kid. Well, yeah, but you talk about, I mean, you talk about wasting time and I've definitely gone through that sentiment before and it, and it keeps, and it always kind of rises up and like kind of the first default is that those years of partying was like wasted time. But I was sharing the other day with some people about how kind of that experience, you know, and then, and then when I got sober, it like taught me so much gratitude for life, you know, yeah. and also... To be alive after everything that that I went through, and I'm sure you went to too, like that there must be a higher purpose to be on this planet. You right. Know? It's just like undeniable. Right. The number of times that I was completely blacked out and behind a vehicle, probably driving very, very fast. I'm sitting here talking to you today, you know? It's just like. It is. It, yeah. It, I think you took, um, it's more of a miracle that you're here than oh, yeah? me. <laughs> well, just because, okay, so. You were a Saturday night bottle of wine kind of girl. Oh, hardly. <laughs> but a lot of my like extreme behavior happened alone in my apartment with okay. cocaine, which is actually, despite what I thought then, sort rel- comparatively hard to die from Okay, compared to like opiates and drunk driving. Right, right. But so, because, so you did, you logged Five treatment centers? Is that true? Yeah, maybe six, I'd say. I'd say two residential, two extended care, and two outpatient facilities. So. And so this all started, you were you started drinking and stuff at like 12? No, I started at 14. I was a late bloomer. That is, now that's embarrassing. I know. I was a nerd before that. You were? Oh, yeah. Straight Studious. A, straight A student. I mean, I played sports. Um, right, and you're tall. You were always like tall. Yeah, so age. I played basketball and baseball. This is like when the supermodels no, talk about being a nerd. I literally graduated number one in my class in eighth grade. At my schools, that was considered super sudly because I think I went to super nerdy schools. We didn't even have a football team. Like that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It just means you were studious, good at school. Okay. Yeah. So okay, so number one, you're playing sports. I'm trying to like sort of dispel whatever story you're trying to portray about your well no so the story i wasn't the most popular guy in school that's for sure i wanted to be and that's where i compromised my integrity and when i got to high school i figured out that the cool kids were the ones that were drinking and smoking pot and doing those sorts of but you wanted to drink anyway it didn't necessarily have to do with trying to be cool or did it it was a combination of trying uh, trying to be cool absolutely was one of the top two factors the other factor was I just wanted to, can I curse on here? Oh, please curse as much as you want. I just wanted to get the fuck out of myself. Right. But you didn't know that at the time. No. Yeah. No, not really. I mean, no. Yeah. I guess not. You know, you have done so much therapy nowadays. It's like, what did did I know back then and what do I know now? And where does it all come in the middle somewhere? Yeah. I know. I mean, it's when I, you know, when I first got sober and people were saying like, yeah, I drank to escape myself. That never occurred to me until I got sober. I thought I was having fun, even though it wasn't fun at all. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. I yeah. just, yeah. it just was like. But subconsciously, you know, if I look back, I mean, yeah. Subconsciously, I didn't even know it. Uh, subconsciously, I absolutely knew it. Well, you were the number one student in your school. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think subconscious has anything to do with intelligence. You know, well, being aware, who knows? So, okay, and so do you have brothers and sisters? I do. You yeah. have, a, like, I'm going to guess you have an older brother. Nope. I'm going to guess you have a younger sister. <laughs> I'm going to guess you have three siblings. The other way around. I have an older sister. And I would not have guessed that. She's nine years my senior. Interesting. And then I have a brother who's two years younger. Okay, okay. Same parents. Yep. They were only going to have one child. And then, oops, along came Jameson. And then yet another mistake and then, later. oops, oops, yeah. <laughs> well... So, but 
interesting. Are you close to them? Closer to your brother, right? Um, because he's closer in age. Yeah, I mean, my brother, my sister, she was definitely older when she was in high school when we were, you know, nine. Or yeah. Whatever, you know, or seven or eight or whatever. And so, actually less than that. We were six. Nine, 14, 15. Yeah, so we were five or six when she was in high school. So she, she babysat us and her friends babysat us. And, and, and Did you have crushes on them or they were just too old? When I got older, yeah. yes, because... Yeah, I guess when I was like in middle school and they were in college. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Totally. And then, um, yeah, Kendall. I remember Kendall. She was fun. I remember one time we went to go and we would, would go visit my friends and I would go visit my sister in college, like early on in high school. She stayed in college a few extra years. Mm-hmm. Just like me. Is she is she a, one of us? We'll have to ask her what she feels about okay, that today. Right. I mean, she has been. Right. Kind of, she's had all... And 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 both of my siblings are, are pretty open about this. If we were sitting down talking about it, is it? Well, no. Here, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened is that my sister's main issue her whole life has been boys, and that started when she was, you know, like fourteen when she mm-hmm. went to high school, and and codependency, if if we want to call it that, and whatnot, and and so um, that's been a theme in my family. But my family's first like entree into mental health was when. My sister was a senior in high school and she was at home babysitting my brother and I when my parents were out to dinner and swallowed a bottle of Tylenol and tried to kill herself. Oh my God. I'm pretty sure my brother and I found her on the bathroom floor. Wait, how? I know you just told me, but how old so was everyone? I was nine. My brother was seven. And then that turned into they went to the hospital and then my sister did some outpatient therapy at a mental health facility in Houston, Texas where mm-hmm. I grew up. Um, and I remember my brother and I would go to the outpatient sessions. And I remember one time we got in a huge, my brother and I got in a big fight, like why outpatients going on in one room. <laughs> We're out like dicking around, like in the bathroom. My brother's finger gets closed in the huge hospital door and like basically half of it falls off. And my dad comes running out. He's yelling at us. He's a yeller. Yeah. He's yelling at us. <laughs> it's just like looking back on it now, it's just treating teenagers and like seeing why all the families that come through. I'm like... I don't know. They probably didn't. I don't know. Maybe it was like family family <laughs> night or whatever, and we were supposed to be there or whatever. Yeah, really. Why did they bring us? But yeah, so that was our first foyer into that, and and that's been a theme in my sister's life the whole time. And then and then there was me and, and my brother. And mm-hmm. my brother and I are both in recovery. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So my brother will have ten years. Uh, I think on November twenty second this year. So in just about a month, he'll have ten years, and I'm right behind him. I'll have ten years on February first. Nice, yeah. nice. Wow, I didn't realize that. To me, you were always an only child. Not that I thought about it a lot, <laughs> but in my head, as I was just about to ask you, I was like, oh, yeah, no, James is an only child. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And so, were your parents sort of used to kids getting in trouble? Did your sister get in trouble? My sister got in trouble a lot. She was grounded, I think, most of her high school career. Right. And back then, it was like you had the, it was uh, it was the 80s, right? She was born in 72, 80s, early 90s. So she had like the landline and like the answering machine. Mm-hmm. Remember those things? Oh, I do. Wow. Well. And so like she'd be grounded from the phone and she would like buy one and like have one hidden underneath her bed and they would find it. I remember my room was like right across the hall from her. So I would like hear, hear all the, the yelling and screaming. Yeah. So it was, but she was grounded. And then I came along and I guess they tried the opposite. I was never grounded. And then when my brother came along, he was like somewhere in the middle. He would get, right. in tra- he would get grounded. And Did yeah. you deserve to be grounded? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. See, <laughs> my parents didn't even know about grounding. Like they were so just, I, there was never a curfew. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, all that stuff. I had a curfew. You had a curfew. But so didn't work. So how did you end up? Okay, so you went to boarding school for high school. No, right? no, no, no. It was a private school in Houston. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So my my school went through eighth grade, and then I went to a school called St. John's in mm-hmm. Houston. And so by then you're you're cool. You're <laughs> drinking. You're still playing sports. What's your definition of cool? Reasonably um, cool. I Let's mean, not be outrageous. I mean. I mean, this is, we can talk about that later, but what's the definition of cool, right? I mean, I think, I think. Are you cool now? I think teenagers have a total misconception of cool and that's what gets them in trouble. Why? What do you think they're? Well, at least the ones that push the boundaries and, you know, break the rules and all that kind of stuff. You know how when you're a teenager kind of like, and sometimes that never goes away, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like the edgy kids and, and not like edgy, like emo edgy, but you know, like the ones that are breaking the rules and that are kind of loud and whatever 
kind of tend to get the attention, right? Mm-hmm. So then they're thought of as cool. But to me nowadays, cool is someone who like is cool with themselves. Right. Period. No matter who they are and what they're about. Yeah, it's I, I had such a weird experience. My high school was so like screwed up and weird and like uh, where was that? It was Marin County. Oh, really? Yeah. Which one? Branson. Okay. Just gotcha. super weird. Uh, yeah. I hated it. And yeah. it was just very, I, in a weird way, the smart kids like were cool. I was part of that crowd, but they, my friends were just the meanest, most awful women like we the mean would, girls yeah mean they girls made a movie about you guys they did make a movie yeah, i never yeah. even saw that yeah. but it wasn't it's funny. even it's like, they it was more like the the men there was just no hope for any of them like like i said we <laughs> didn't have a football team we didn't have cheerleaders like so so there, i think there were no cool guys so in lieu of having none just ra- random people were sort of appointed that like you just <laughs> were like oh chris he's cool but i don't even know what that means or meant but right. i do think there's something to people who are comfortable in their own skin or whatever that were that have always been that were cool too I never realized it's funny because my idea about myself before I got sober is I was, I was such cool like I was a badass bitch who was kind of cold <laughs> and I'm really like not cool and not a bitch yeah that was like an epiphany yeah yeah I think that I took on a little bit of that role too like mm-hmm. I, I, I was I mean yeah I was a little bit of a dick yeah you know? but- I can see it <laughs> Not that it's easy. I can. But just, I'm really not. No, I'm really not. Like except when you didn't respond to six of my emails. There was a period of time where I had no time to check emails. I'm. You've more than made up. There's for a it. couple people out here that may hear this, and I apologize if for the past year I didn't respond to your email. But and I'm here to attest that it's not personal. It's not personal. For the past two months, I've checked every single email, and that will continue. Yes. Yes, no, you've totally redeemed yourself. Whoa, <laughs> I did want to, so so our, our journey, if you will, I want right, to yeah. meander back to that quickly. Okay. So we met at this PRISM Awards thing, and then I signed a story on you, which I just reread, that Nina did, that was awesome. Okay. Oh, yeah, the title was pretty Wait, what was it? Oh, yeah, From Teenage it. Delinquent to Teen Dream. <laughs> I got a lot of shit for that one. I'm sure. Yeah. I have to say, I didn't know how to do titles back then. Like, that's a... So sure. that was your title. I think so you you came up with that I think title. That I can't. Our our owner, one of the owners, was a little disposed throughout the entire former um, owner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so there was a period where that person would go in and change things in ways that we couldn't control. Or so that may have not been mine. Do you think it was the rabbit guy or a couple of the other guys? Rabbit guy. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to bleep that. We can't show something I didn't get. Kidding. Don't edit this. Um, but yeah. So, but it, it, I, I just when I just reread it, I was like, that's a ridiculous title. Um, so it may have been mine. And so you started Newport, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is the number? What do we call it? The number four best I don't know, treatment center it, on rehab it, reviews. It should be number one, though. Okay. Says the guy who literally. Now I can exaggerate how many emails I sent you since I know you didn't read any. Like. I want to say four, which is, I have a major ego. That's a lot to send someone who's not responding to you at all. What was the question? Well, I think that, okay, when I was building After Party, we were in touch and you were like, support, you were like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, let's go to coffee. And what year was this? Let's say it was 2012. Right. Right. And I left LA and I moved to the East Coast. Right. To open another treatment center. Right. And I was extremely... Busy. Busy. Yeah. I hate that word, but yeah, I was busy. It's accurate. I mean, yeah. and I kind of had the same thing when I was starting after party. Like I realized like Greg Williams was emailing me all the time. Like I was just not emailing anybody back. Yeah. Because, so, you know, like, like yeah. your focus becomes so narrow on this yes. baby that you're birthing and it's just like everything else like just falls Receipts, to the wayside yeah. and then you look like a dick. Yeah. Yeah. No, you didn't. You didn't really. I, I was, but I'm like, well, Vincent, I was like, did I piss him off? Did I do something? Whatever. It had nothing to do with me. And so I was trying to figure out what after party was going to be. And I was sort of reaching out to like different people I knew who worked in treatment and you, uh, we were going to meet for coffee and we never did. So then our journey is that, so then I think I emailed you and I was like, oh, I'm doing the site. And we, we called Newport one of the best things and then I emailed you and said, hey, you should come on my podcast. And the only reason this is significant is I've never had a rehab owner. 
on. Oh, You're okay. the first. Oh, wow. I want to make sure that's true. It's true. I'm honored. And because you are, and you can use this on your website, so much more than a rehab owner. Thank you. It's true. It's true. I mean, you're, and I'll get all this in the intro, but you go on TV, you you, ha- you spoke at the Aspen Institute, you're a very active advocate. Yeah. And I mean, uh, thank you for noticing that because like there's so much more work to do than, yes. than just treating people. I yes. mean, I say like, I would love to be able to create a prevention program that puts myself out of business. I mean, granted, right. it won't ever happen, but I can try. Right. You know what I mean? Like, And so I see kids walking through the doors of Newport Academy, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, 20 years old. And when you start peeling back the layers and you look at when it all started and you're like, oh, well, if that family or that community had this type of education and we were talking about feelings and family systems and roles and all that when... When these kids were eight, nine, ten years old, then maybe life wouldn't have been so bad that they wanted to pick up a pill problem, you know what I mean, in order to escape that painful reality, right? So for me, it's my personal mission to kind of attack this issue from every angle possible. And that's why we are together. Uniting to face addiction. Exactly. What did you think of that event? Um, I thought it was wonderful. I think what, you know, I've known Greg... For a few years now. Did you were you one of the producers on that on the? I wasn't. No, I didn't know about it until after it was made. Mm-hmm. Um, the anonymous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know it. To, and and I moved to Connecticut and New York in 2012, and that's when it was kind of coming out. Actually, it came out in 2013, actually. And I was asked, and I was introduced to Greg, and then I sponsored one of the first screenings mm-hmm. in Danbury, Connecticut, and because yeah, I mean, I think it's a phenomenal concept and anonymity only perpetuates stigma Mm -hmm. right so i've always been open and honest about my story i'll tell anybody i don't care because i know it's so many other millions of people's story as well or it's their son's story their dad's story their wife's story you know what i mean so so anonymity only perpetuates stigma and and i and so i love the concept and the film was wonderful and so I've known Greg since then, so when he was putting all this together, when he was emailing you and you weren't emailing him back. See, um, you knew which emails to respond to. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, we can ask Greg. We've had trouble getting it together too, but but I think it was wonderful, and it was great to see people from all over the country, from all... Over the world. All over the world, from all aspects of, of tackling this issue come together and, and unite. Did you, so were you part of like the planning and all of that? I um, was on the official planning committee and that was actually, that was through Newport Academy, but also through Drugs Over Dinner. Mm -hmm. And then I sponsored the wellness tent with the In The Rooms guys. And Tommy. And within the Rooms guys with uh, Nikki Myers and with Tommy Rosen from Recovery 2.0. Yeah. 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 That was why it was my favorite tent. Nice. I actually don't know Nikki, but the rest of you. I love and support. What there were so few tents. There were so few tents. I think they did a great job of not like of managing. You know, you've been to some of these inter- industry conferences and like rehab so in your face. Yeah, they didn't want it to be that. You yeah, know what I mean, and they want it to be a community type thing, right? No one really selling anything. So that's why Drugs Over Dinner was a sponsor because it's a nonprofit and it's a free tool for anybody to use. And then. I mean, I'm sure it was the first year, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it'll it'll keep going and next year it'll be bigger and yeah. bigger and bigger, you know, so. Yeah, it was amazing. I um I don't know how the lobbying Congress part went, but I do know that they, there were, I think, 30,000 people there. Something like that. Something yeah, like tens that. Tens of thousands. Uh, one of the big exciting things for me, well, two things was when there's a big thing on the insurance side of things. For me, being a treatment center owner and getting hundreds of calls a day for people that need treatment that don't have money and then you look at their insurance benefits and they're just okay and you're like right. but but then even if someone has insurance which most people most people these days have insurance well yeah post obamacare yeah but the thing is is that then so and and we take in i mean newport academy 85 percent of our patients are, are on insurance and so we deal with a lot of insurance and we've got a whole department dedicated to it and, and i'm very involved in that and so we you know, getting the authorization for care is is ridiculous. You know, it's like 
Um, the insurance company wants want people to be in treatment, you know, for like for a week. Yeah, for seven days, yeah. and then they're okay to move back home, right? <laughs> with right. with their brother or sister, or their mom and dad that are active addicts, right. you know, and you're just like no, and they're just like deny, 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 and and so that was big to see governors and former senators up there talking about parity and the need for that. Your dress matches. I just the, noticed the, the, it doesn't match or does it clash? It's it's almost it's really exactly close. the same. This is listener, just a you shiny. do not know. I'm wearing this. What do you call this? Fuchsia. Fuchsia. Yeah, yeah, it's a fuchsia. A fuchsia dress. Um, I got dressed quickly. It's not my favorite dress. And there's a, I'm going to say, pretty ugly fuchsia pillow behind me. <laughs> there's four of them. There are four of them. I think my dress is prettier than the pillows. But you know what? <laughs> it's hard for me to say I'm biased. I mean, I think they're like pleather or something. Yeah, so, they're yeah. not. Let, let's just be clear. Your Neither of us would have much them. much prettier. Yeah. Than, than pillows, yeah. And so, <laughs> in, and that's why IOPs have just sprouted up everywhere, right? Because um, that's where um, insurance companies want to fund. And IOP meaning an um, intensive, intensive outpatient. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I got sober in residential treatment. I had I tried to get sober in outpatient facilities. Mm-hmm. I had to get out of my elements in order to hit reset. I had to get out to hit reset. I tried for literally years. Yeah. To you know do outpatient, to do AA and outpatient, to do, but it's like I was still like in the belly of the beast and. You know, I see teenagers and and like myself when I was a teenager, it's like your self-esteem is and your self-awareness is so little at Mm -hmm. that point in time in your life, especially if you're caught up in addiction, Mm -hmm. it's even worse. But even just regular teenagers, like you're going through all these emotional hormonal changes and who am I is a big Mm -hmm. question. You know, you're starting to figure that out and, and then you're supposed to try and like leave your peer group in order to start a new identity it's impossible and so um i hope we talk about like newport academy recovery high schools too yes well you have two now right now okay so the high school so when you started the when you started open the treatment center you also opened a high school soon thereafter yeah Mm -hmm. within a year yeah so in 2009 uh we opened early 2009 we opened up newport academy residential in southern california and Mm -hmm. it's a very small six bed girls facility and a small six bed boys facility and then within a year we opened up an outpatient and then a recovery high school and the thing behind the recovery high school which i already knew going into the whole thing is that eight out of ten teenagers that go to treatment and go back into a traditional educational environment will relapse within 30 days and nine out of ten will relapse within six months so 90 percent of kids are being sent away coming back and that's even if they go to like a different school right because it's the same kids no matter where whether they're in school in newport beach or the school in you know des moines iowa or houston texas like the same personalities exist right right? the same problems and so it's like well if and this is like part of me like wanting to tackle every aspect of this thing. It's like, well, if you're treating kids in a residential setting and an outpatient setting, but then they're spending eight hours a day right. in a toxic school environment where there's drug dealers within every school system, right? And you talk to any kid, they could get, you know, most drugs within an hour, if not, yeah. not a day. Yeah. Um, so it's like we're we're doing a disservice if that's if that's what we're sending kids back to. So the Newport Academy Day School opened in 2010 and with great success, eight out of 10 kids that enroll in Newport Academy Day School will make it to a year sober. So mm-hmm. we're like flipping that number on its head. And we graduated two kids our first year, four kids the second year, six kids the third year. And this past year, we graduated eight kids. So um, so it's, is it an actual school that they're going to? Um, I mean, it doesn't look like you know, Hollywood High School, you know, right. it doesn't look, and it's not, we don't have a football field or anything like that. Right, no. But there's classrooms or um, a, like, it's like a. So we're the, we're like an old school one room classroom. Oh yeah, cute. Yeah, yeah with some breakout rooms and some, some quiet study rooms. But uh, and, we've got about 4,500 square feet in total. So it's mm-hmm. not tiny. And this is the Newport Beach location. And then we've got one large classroom. In Newport Beach now we're up to about 20, 22 students. And it's all self-paced. And so a lot of the learning is done via computer. But we have a couple teachers, a couple tutors, and counselors in the classroom at, at all times. So the ratio, it's about one faculty to every three kids. And there's a lot of one-on-one instruction, a lot of one-on-one help. 
And then there's some some group study, I think so group projects and project based learning and things like that. Do people do kids who have nothing to do with the treatment center go there? Yeah. Yeah. So families will find us or hear about us and they'll come check us out and they'll and, and their their kids not succeeding in a traditional educational environment, which by the way, I think our education system fails fifty percent of all of our students because mm-hmm. people have vastly learning different style different learning different styles. learning styles. Yeah. And we're sticking them all in a desk and making them pay attention to a teacher over the front of the classroom. Right. And that's, I mean, I learned so differently. Like, Me too. I always got in trouble. I was always in detention. I was always, you know, I always had straight A's in academics, but I had like F's in conduct. And so, so anyway, so this caters to a, a small proportion of kids that are able to, you know, that, that, that need to get out of that environment, need to have quiet space, one-on-one, really instruction stuff like that and you know we have kids some kids are in recovery from substance abuse eating disorders self-harm um, we even have kids that come through that just have really high anxiety or severe depression mm-hmm. and they just can't cope with going to a big school or even mm-hmm. a, even a small school even being in a classroom mm-hmm. with 20 people in a class of 100 you know it's it's too overwhelming and so here like they know everybody there's counselors in the classroom it's also self-paced meaning that if a kid just needs to take one class at a time, that's fine. Right. You know? And there's no pressure of like the end of the semester or anything like that. I mean, we set timelines and we set goals, but those are changeable mm-hmm. because life happens. You right. Know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, a kid has a family issue or a girlfriend breaks up with him and he's super depressed. It's like, okay, well, let's deal with life that's happening right now instead of force academics down your throat and so we have that where kids are you know a little slower and then we'll add a couple classes you know and then we have kids that come in and they're ready to go and they're in four ap classes and they're doing just fine Mm -hmm. and then we do a lot of individual sat uh act prep and so and then we give diplomas so yeah i so in your in terms of to get back to your personal story so you went to you went to university of texas is that and um were you still getting straight a's there um, no, not at all. Did you graduate? Not officially. I have uh, 12 credits more than one does need to graduate. Mm-hmm, but, but you just never. You know, like fill out a form and all this kind of stuff. And I just never. And you don't need one. You don't need one of those diplomas for what, what we're doing. Yeah, not not anymore. Thank no. God. So, yeah, so I um actually, so we went back to like St. John's. Like mm-hmm. I started going to this really tough academic school where, yeah, I mean, everyone was kind of a nerd. Um, and um, so it was like the smartest kids around. And then, so my story goes is that I was in this freshman biology class and it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And I was actually like getting a C or a D or mm-hmm. something. And I was like, shit, this is, my dad's going to be pissed, right? And I was studying though too and mm-hmm. it was hard. But I was also playing sports like mm-hmm. for three hours after school. And then you had like four or five hours of homework and it was just so demanding. And so I, uh, and so one of my buddies in my class was taking Adderall. And actually, looking back on it now, this was I think 1994, 95. So early on it, your friend. It just, it came out that summer before. Yeah. And reading a bunch of the articles in the New York Times and whatnot, like talking about the advertising and the sale of it, it was like in People Magazine. It was in like Vanity, you know, it was like, like, is your kid struggling? Like, here's the solution. Right. Right. Like, right. it's crazy. And it's like, you know, it's like Viagra's on every other commercial these days. I guess it was pretty popular back then in that kind of way. And so my buddy was taking it. And so I tried it and it worked. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, you know, limitless style. <laughs> and um, and so then I went, movie. then I went to my parents and I was like, I don't think the TV show is going to do very well. Though. I don't know. We'll see. I know. Did it start? I don't watch I'm, TV. I don't so. even. I don't even. But, but I, God, I did love that movie and yeah, thought it was, it was like a really good sort of movie about addiction that yeah. wasn't really Because in the end, like, he loses it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like in excess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like. Yep. And I wanted that drug, man. <laughs> oh, I never did. I never did Adderall. Oh, wow. I never did uh, Oxycontin either. I didn't either. I, I, we got sober before it became big. No, before you, it came big, my some of my friends were doing it, yeah. But I was a blackout drinker. I would blackout and do all the coke and take all the Xanax and all the Valium, right? And then I would wake up thirty six hours later, having and people not would be like, even enjoyed it, and people because I don't remember, and people would be like, "I can't believe you did all those drugs." And I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Right. <laughs> so subconsciously, I knew, and I'd heard about kids taking like snorting like a quarter of an oxycotton and then drinking alcohol and dying. Yeah, and I was like. Okay, well, I want to die, but not that bad. Right, so. right, right. So anyways, yeah, not the direct route like that. So I told my parents I had ADHD, and of course, 
just like every parent, they want their child to succeed. And they took me to the doctor and I totally faked my ADD test. I was like, those. T- I took one and I and I totally have it. It's so obvious what they what I was the like answers staring are. Staring at the wall, and like the doctor's like, so, and I'm like, what? Oh, is that how your test went? They oh, actually. Two three hour like exam like I had the same I had, had a written one. Um, I don't think it was written. It was Q and A, and then I had remember part of it. I had to sit in front of the computer, and when like it blinked in a certain way, I had to push a button. Okay. And the doctor left the room. There's a bookcase right next to me, so I'm just start reading the names and of just books and just pushing the button uh, at random times. Faked ADD so test. So they're like, ah, your son has ADD, and so I got a prescription for Adderall, which mm-hmm. I had for like the next ten years. And so anyway, so then. I talk about this in the context of what I see today in teenagers and what is fact is that in prevention we have this thing called perceived harmfulness, right? Mm -hmm. And so these days the perceived harmfulness of a prescription drug is like nil to some kids. And and when you're giving a kid a prescription narcotic, like methamphetamine in a pill form, like Mm -hmm. on the one hand, like who's to say that Vicodin, you know, is bad for you when you're pushing Adderall down someone's throat, right? And so that was actually my story is that the next year when like I got a painkiller, it's like, what's the difference? Right. I mean, do you think, doesn't it seem like the awareness about the dangers, uh, I, I forget the term you just used, perceived, perceived harm, harm, you know, then it was uh, nil, but right now at least, I mean, it's it's perceived as more harmful now than it was then when it was perceived only as like a great helpful tool not not really i know i mean like the prescription drug epidemic is a huge problem but 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 adderall no adderall is still just yeah it's still just it's so prevalent amongst high school and college campuses that it's i mean it's a performance enhancement drug. Right. It is steroids for grades. Like it is steroids for studying, and that's and that's the way I ended up using it. Yeah. Um, and trading it and selling it. And Did all you snort it? <laughs> yeah, totally. Because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't going to do cocaine. <laughs> Until you got blackout drunk and didn't know you did it. <laughs> I wasn't blacked out, but yeah. Until I had snorted enough Adderall, right. over, You know, six months to a year, and then late night with some buddies, and they're like, "You want to try cocaine?" I'm like been snorting Adderall what's, what's the, di- the difference what's the difference right yeah so and that's the story of a lot of kids that end up in rehab too um and so then I started drinking when my sister got married somewhere between my sophomore and uh freshman sorry freshman and sophomore year of high school mm-hmm. and that's when I got wasted mm-hmm. first time I got really drunk and was dry heaving off the balcony and in the bathroom and my grandfather was like what are you doing boy and I was just like Ugh! and um but I loved it. Yeah. Was yeah. it like the best night ever? Yeah. I was like dance. And so this is my sister's hot friends. Mm-hmm. Like we're on the dance floor. Janelle, what was her name? The uh, one? Kendall. Kendall. Yeah. Um, we're dancing on the dance floor. <laughs> just like, you know, having a great time. It's like 14 or 15. And then alcohol became like I wanted to. That was a wonderful way to get out of myself. Yeah. Um, and came some some painkillers in high school. So what happened was actually though, then the last day of my sophomore year, my buddy and I left school after first period last mm-hmm. day last day of the year and went and got drunk we bought a couple six packs of tall boys drove around got wasted went back to school and ultimately got expelled oh yeah, yeah. you you stole it final we, ended, we ended up in a teacher's office trying to find and steal the english final uh-huh yeah uh, <laughs> i it's interesting i um i relate to this uh, we had a i had two friends and we would do a friday afternoon like thing where we would go to one of her houses okay and and get wasted and come back to school okay like yeah. we thought that was because we did that thing you know with the the parents vodka and gin bottles oh. that was like a common what put it water in yeah there? okay gotcha yeah. that was like a great way to access alcohol yeah but don't people normally drink that alcohol and they can taste it you think you think i mean my parents were never big drinkers so we got away with it i mean you you're you're spacing it out at different people's houses okay, you know what i yeah, mean yeah, so yeah. all the parents are getting yeah. a little and bit most less parents drunk. are in denial anyways so they yeah. don't blame their kid yeah exactly <laughs> i actually had kids who got sober at my high school wow but and one of them still is i know him Wow. It's crazy. That is crazy. I know. It happens. Our director of education used to be a teacher at TAM. Oh, yeah. That was a much cooler school. Yeah. Um, I always wished I went there. <laughs> um, uh, my former uh, sc- my former high school, the principal was arrested last year for being on meth with an underage girl, luckily not a student, wow. at a hotel room. Wow. Yeah. Wow. My- and he was the one that... 
He was not the headmaster then. The school's okay. $40,000 a year. I mean, that's what yeah. they do. I yeah. mean, I'm so, so weird. Somebody randomly emailed me today about that. What's the school like in North Marin County? Uh, uh, public school, but it's really affluent. Nevada, not affluent. No. no. Uh, uh, the school, oh, oh, I mean, Marin Academy? No. There's just Branson, Marin Academy. Public, I think. A public high school that in, in Northern Marin. In, yeah. I don't, I don't think, I think you might have your information a little. No, because, I mean, I know Marin County pretty well. I mean, but we, anyways, we had maybe a private school. Like, Branson was the best, that's what's so ironic, the best of the private schools, for sure. University High School in San Francisco is, like, yeah. much better. Yeah, yeah. And then there's Marin Academy, which was good. We had a kid in treatment, Oxycontin, Marin uh-huh. County, very common thing. Yep. Don't tell their parents. Mm-mm. <laughs> And he went to a high school. He went to a high school there, but he's in treatment with us down here. And his mom figures out that um, the athletic director's son mm-hmm. is the drug dealer at mm-hmm. the school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Marin County. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a teacher who, uh, now sober, who was busted doing coke with a awesome. student. Was not fired. <laughs> Just my alma mater. Private yeah. School, yeah. But anyway. Um, so I kicked out of school. I went to the private school down the street, which is like a party school. And and then, yeah, it just went off. And then. And so you got arrested many times. Many times. For drunk driving? Uh, only one time for drunk driving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I've since been like acquitted of that. Okay. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. Actually, I've never been convicted of anything. Okay. Um, I've been arrested Always under the influence, mm-hmm. public intoxication. Uh, yeah. One time, I got in a fight with my roommate and was arrested for assault. And at the end of the day, it was my roommate. No charges were ever filed. But yeah, I've spent a few nights in the drunk tank. Every single time in a blackout, I've, oh, good. I've woken up no in bad jail memories. every single time. Oh, and then those memories. That's the yeah. memories. Like you're sitting in jail and you're like, so you come to or you come woke to up? and come to in jail. Yeah, and and you're just like, you're oh just my like, god, that just. Not even a bad enough word for like so you, desperation that you feel when you're in jail and you have no idea how you got there. Like six hours before you were at a party and then all of a sudden. That's crazy. That never yeah. happened to I me. I remember the time I got in a fight with my roommate. I was sitting by the pool on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> it was the last thing I remembered. And then I was wow. in jail. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you, you come to and do you, you're like talking to a guy in a holding cell? That or? happened one time. Yeah. Totally. And are you like yeah. your first thought, I, I should kill myself? Like, what, <laughs> That's what, what I mean. There's think? not a word bad enough. Yeah. It's like, because you're like, what did I do? Like, is it like reversible? Right, like, right. did I kill someone? Right. Like, what is going on? Well, thank God. I never, never did, did anything yeah. that bad. Yeah. So. And then do you you get out and you you make the the call of shame to your parents? Is that what happens? No. Like the first time, like they called my parents, or maybe I. So you know what? Once again, like there yeah, were blacked right. out phone calls. Yeah. Where I'm like, you know, these days I wouldn't even know my parents' phone number. Right. There, I, I you like remembered phone numbers yeah, even in a blackout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably sometimes. Not not a good idea, like yeah. with the girls and boys, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. So collect call. So hey the guys. yeah, the kids. My heart goes out to the kids who are arrested today that who don't, don't know their parents' phone numbers. numbers. Yeah, because they must take your cell phone when you go to jail. Uh, yeah, mm. I don't know. I wouldn't know, but um, <laughs> but I think you're right. So yeah. So then you were getting in a lot of trouble. And, yeah. So and, I got I got arrested twice, like summer '99, and then I got shipped off to treatment. I was 18. And uh, I went to the round of treatment centers. Yeah, I went to a couple of treatment centers. I, w- I was in one when I was 19, and it was this like extended care place up in Washington State. It was super cool. It was all guys like in their late teens, early 20s. We'd go like on a camping trip every six weeks, and um, I got a job at the golf course, worked there in the morning, played golf in the afternoon, spend all my paycheck money at buying Grateful Dead bootleg tapes at the little music shop, like. It was a good time. And and at that point in time, I had a few months sober, and I just found this this place of like peace and serenity mm-hmm. that I never had in my life. Imagine that. And um, and I was talking to the owner. You know, you get to know the owner. It was a small place, and so you knew the owner. Super nice guy, a friend of mine today, and super nice guy. And, like, it's something that was just like, wow. Like, 
and, and and I thought about it, and the guy, you know, I, I was an economics major, and I know numbers and all that, and so like I ran his numbers, and I was like, so this guy is like, he helps people, but he makes a decent living. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so you can help people and make a living at the same time. Like, see, to me, prior to that, it was like you had your day job, and then you like donated to the nonprofit or right. volunteered or something in your free time, like, right? And realized you could merge the two, and so. It clicked when I was 19. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to help people find the peace and serenity that I have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to help teenagers do that mm-hmm. because it's what I was still at the time. Now, I moved back to Texas mm-hmm. and partied for five more Lost years. Lost that, that motivation um, for a minute. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was still in the seat of my head. So when I was 24 and I finally got sober again and that time that's when i had like i tried for five years i was in and out for five years in texas between mm-hmm. austin and houston i came out to california um went to treatment and stayed sober and then got a job working in a place with like three or four months sober mm-hmm. like what hiring someone three or four months that's what sober. they do that's what they all do uh, it's it's <laughs> i feel like when i went to treatment people were like yeah a few months sober they, they were there Unfortunately, they are. Yeah. It's ludicrous. I, I do not support it. I was fortunate that <laughs> some place did. Yeah. And, and I remember most places I went were like, you have to have a year sober. And rightfully so, because most people relapse in the first year. And so I um I got a job and, you know, started out as the overnight guy, making like 12 bucks an hour, you know, and I showed up on time and, you know, did everything that I was supposed to do. They moved me to day shift. Big win. Like, got a yeah. dollar raise, I think, like 13 bucks an hour now. So you were you were not like living large like you were I'm not going to use the word like spoiled at all but you were not able to like live large. No, uh, I was living in a garage apartment um, with a roommate. We had a little two bedroom one bath garage apartment. I was in Corona Del Mar, but right. it wasn't new or fancy or anything. And um, and yeah, totally. And then you put together a business plan and exactly. All that. And so yeah, so I was going to work there during the day pretty much, and then in all my spare time, you know, I wasn't returning emails. I was. I was literally. Back then, I was doing a lot of emails. So I was doing a lot. I was doing a lot of research. Um, you know, like emailing the head of NATAP and this industry, blah blah blah, and like really dug deep and and um, yeah, put together a business plan and and ultimately uh, shopped it around mm-hmm. and got my dad and my uncle and four family friends to pitch in mm-hmm. and you know, pay it off. And here we are today. Yeah. Sitting on the couch. Yeah. Next to some fuchsia pillows. pillows you yeah. never thought you'd get here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so much fun. I mean, it's uh, we just had an alumni weekend two weeks ago and in Connecticut. We, mm-hmm. we have a summer alumni weekend on both coasts, California and Connecticut. Um, and we have a winter holiday party, too, mm-hmm. on both coasts. And so, but our most recent one was in Connecticut a couple weekends ago and just amazing to see like you know we've been there two years now all the families come back and and the kids come back and and even kids that like hated treatment you know it's right. like you know it's like it's the worst place ever and then like you know a year later they're coming to the alumni thing and i'm like hey what's up like right. <laughs> what are you what are you up to like, you know i mean you're sober you know are they blah, like blah, thank blah. you for saving my life or uh, you know they're no. still punks but yeah, you know yeah. but but yeah, I mean, it's just nice to, you know, they don't have to say it, but just by showing up, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you Big came thing. to this freaking alumni party, like, you didn't have to do this on this Saturday afternoon. I'm sure there's a million other things you had to do, but you showed up. Wow. That's awesome. You know, I'm like, I'm a super proud, like, Promises alum, um, and I, like, credit it with saving my life, and I've never been to an alumni event. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't cross my mind. I mean, they don't invite me anymore. But back in volleyball, whatever, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we we've got an annual alumni versus staff softball game. Yeah, it's pretty fun, high scoring. We like put on a whole carnival. Like we've got bounce houses. And, By the way, if, oh, dunk tank, so the the kids get to dunk, dunk the staff. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty fun. fun. See if if it promises if you're listening and you did that, I would go. Yeah, but, they probably do. But I went to the not fancy promises. I don't know if private equity does dunk tanks. <laughs> can I say that? <laughs> you can say whatever you want. All right. And then, and so drugs over dinner, we have to like get towards wrapping up. But okay. So t- drugs over dinner. We're going to have to have round two. 
Well, yeah, well, there's so much more to talk there's about. There's so much more to talk about, but we're going to have to do it like you'll come back for another episode. I mean, yeah, I'll come back. Yeah. Or you come to New York and we'll. Yeah, we can we can do it up there. The New York version. Yeah. So but OK, so drugs over dinner. Christina Huffington. How did that all come back? And can after party get involved? Just Absolutely. Over. No, it's not over. It's it's in perpetuity. Okay. It will always be going on, hopefully. And so drugs over dinner is really the brainchild of one of my really good friends, Michael Hebb, mm-hmm. um, who is from Pacific Northwest, Portland and Seattle. And He's uh, a longtime curator of discussions around a table. And he's the one who's friends with Brent Bolthouse, maybe. He is. Okay. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, he is. Yeah. He's really good friends with Brent's fiance. And so, and Brent hosted a dinner at his mm-hmm. house, and he's on the board of advisors mm-hmm. and been very gracious. Previous um, podcast guest. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Brent's a great guy, and, um, and, and we had a great dinner at his house. We had two tables, very eye-opening. You know, I think people really, really enjoyed it. So, but so, anyways, uh, Heb, um, as a lot of us call him, wanted to create a way in order for. So, so Heb's been gathering people around dinner to have difficult discussions for a long time. Whether that's through like CGI, through the UN, um, he's had heads of state that hate each other, like you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, but those are all one-offs. It was like one-time dinner. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, so how can we? create a platform where people can continue and always have dinner um, and anybody can have a dinner and talk about, uh, you know, a topic. Uh, mm-hmm. And so his first go around was death. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's have dinner and talk about death. Um, that was hugely successful. Um, and, um, you know, tens of thousands of people in a in hundred countries or something, you know, it's crazy. And, and so then he's like, okay, well that worked. It was just an experiment. And he's like, what's the next topic? Mm-hmm. Um, addiction. What and, happens right before death? Um, right. Let's <laughs> be a little morbid going. And so addiction is, you know, and we were just at United to face addiction and drugs over dinner was, you know, one of the sponsors. And so, it's it's a taboo topic that we do not talk about. There's so much shame and stigma around it that you don't even tell your neighbor or even your freaking brother or sister that mm-hmm. your kid has issues. You know what I mean? Like, I've had kids in treatment that were going to SAT camp for the summer. Mm. They couldn't tell grandma and grandpa. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's so sad. And so that's the concept. It's like, let's have dinner and talk about drugs and addiction. And the catchy title is Drugs Over Dinner. Very catchy. And Michael's partner, Angel Grant, is a co-founder as well. And she's in recovery in her own right as well. And so uh, Michael, Angel, and I gathered um, a large group of advisors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christina and Ariana Huffington, uh, Gabor Mate, mm-hmm. Brent Boldhouse, a number of other physicians, doctors, uh, celebrities. And uh, drugsoverdinner.org mm-hmm. is the website. And what it is, and, and we had like a launch week where we did like, I don't know how many dinners ended up happening around the world, but we did a dinner for 150 people in London and multiple other people hosted dinners. And the thing is, people are like, how do I, how do I, can I host a dinner? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, actually, like that's the whole concept. It's mm-hmm. like, you don't need me right. to be there at your dinner. I'll, if I'm around, I'll come, certainly. Right. I love, you know, your love food, dinner. Your you food's love good. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, And so... But, I mean, literally, like, it's like you can order takeout. All you do is go to drugsoverdinner.org and you walk through this platform that takes five minutes or less and you pick who's coming to dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, are there going to be, like, little kids there? Are there going to be grandparents there? Is it friends? Is it family? So you pick who's coming to dinner and then, then you pick general subject mm-hmm. idea that you want to talk about do you want to talk about treatment versus incarceration do you want to talk about legalization versus criminalization mm-hmm. um do you want to talk about stigma do you have a drug problem and want to tell people mm. does someone have a drug problem mm-hmm. and you want to kind of open it up mm-hmm. you know i mean we're so not, we're not interventionist here but intervention yeah yeah exactly no we're not interventionist here but um, are you a teenager that wants to have a discussion with your parents about mm-hmm. drugs? Mm-hmm. And then once you choose that, then we'll give you a series of articles based on um, based on kind of who and what you want to talk about. And we'll actually give you a series of articles. You'll pick one. We'll give you a video, a, a bunch of videos you can choose from. Um, and then we'll give you like a podcast or something, mm-hmm. to, a, a, seri- a bunch of those and you pick one. So you've got something to read, to watch and listen to. That's awesome. Um, and then you, the last step, so it's what, four steps, I guess. And mm-hmm. you enter your email address and then we'll send you 
a uh, a blueprint, a boilerplate, uh, a play-by-play on what to do, on how to host the dinner, and basically what it will be. It'll be like you know, send this invite to whoever you want to invite, and and then here's an opening salvo, and then and then here's three questions to ask in series during dinner mm-hmm. and everyone goes around and answers the question mm-hmm. um and then here's a closing salvo do they videotape them you can if you want to mm-hmm. we have videotaped a number of them mm-hmm. just to show an example and i think on drugsoverdinner.org you can see a video um of one a smaller dinner we did in london back in may during launch week and um and it's just it's like eight people sitting around a table and it's I've never been at a drug dinner where people did not like get vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. it's just, we did one in Aspen. Um, mm-hmm. We did one in Aspen. It was great because you had, I think I can say Ashley Judd was there. You had, you had literally like Ashley Judd sitting next to Nora Volko, right. um, like sitting next to the commissioner of mental health in the state of Connecticut. And, you know, everyone opens up and is vulnerable because we've all got shit, you know, whether we have an addiction or not, mm-hmm. we all have insecurities and that's what it's about. It's about finding commonality mm-hmm. in the whole thing. And, and I love having people that are on opposite ends of the spectrum, like, you know, super far right and super far left. And when they can get sit down in like an unbiased situation mm-hmm. and, and like, not to sound too cheesy, but kind of open their hearts a little bit, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, mm-hmm. but at least like there's a question to be asked and then everyone's answering the same question. Like mm-hmm. your answers are not too dissimilar. You know right. what I mean? And so that's where we can find some sort of middle ground here. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can increase, you know, compassion and acceptance and, you know, this is awareness and too. awareness. Yeah. And I mean, and this is just like, say so this is like step Step zero, right? I mm-hmm. mean, this is like we have to talk about something before we can find any sort of solution to it, right? right? So this is just starting the conversation. And now, please, everybody, go to drugsoverdinner.org. You guys, I mean, maybe we host an, an after party. Dinner know, here. Dinner in here. Fuchsia-colored room. Absolutely. Are there any fuchsia-colored foods that we can um, Yeah, let's figure something? something I would love to figure something out. Cool. Um, so, okay, and so what's next for you? So we just, uh, so in Connecticut, we opened up our residential facility mm-hmm. two years ago and, mm-hmm. and, and there we treat 14 to 20 year olds. And so across the board, we're 12 to 20 year olds. And, and then down in Southern Connecticut, we opened up in Darien, our outpatient and our recovery high school. And then last week, we just opened the first recovery high school in New York City. In New York City, yeah. yeah. And it's in, in Manhattan at 53rd and Madison. Um, my first two students came in last week on Monday. We're getting a few more this week, I think, and next week. And so that's something that's very exciting. And then what's next? Who knows? Right now, it's just continuing to build the team at mm-hmm. Newport Academy. We've got some wonderful clinicians, some wonderful doctors, psychiatrists, um, administrators. And, and then you are, you speak at colleges? No, I don't. I don't I've seen enough data to show that well I speak at colleges so I can tell you how difficult it is to like get them to care and that they don't work yeah I mean it's hard to say I only have anecdotal right experience yeah you, there's always that one or two kids yeah and if you can reach one person you you get yeah 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 but I'm in, so I'm in, I mean I'm interested in prevention across the board I'm inter- I'm interested in I, they put me on a panel on Aspen Ideas this this year called Raising Healthy Kids, and I guess I was on there because I'm I, I get the unhealthy kids, so I may right. know something about how how not to screw up your kids, I guess. Right. And they they said, "What's one thing we can do in the school system?" And I said, "Oh, but besides close them all down and start over, which actually I think that we closed all the schools down for a year. We got some of the best, brightest, smartest people in the room, and we created a model. I mean, not we could relaunch in in twelve months, and I think we'd but anyways and people booed some people clapped Mm -hmm. some people Mm -hmm. clap and some people like spit on me but then i said really what we could do is we could have a a mental health professional or a counselor in kindergarten Mm -hmm. in first grade we should do process group and like talk about our feelings and emotions because Mm -hmm. so like kids these days the kids that end up at newport academy and the kids that end up with quote-unquote problems um, are really the most sensitive, bright, beautiful spirits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 they've called the bluff subconsciously. They've called the bluff on the lie that they're being fed mm. by society and by the education system. And so, what I mean by that is that is that we're so caught up in 
the educational race these days, and I love how people call it the race to nowhere, because really, I mean, when does it end? And, and it doesn't end because it's like we tell kids these days, and, and, and there's parents that sign up their kid for preschool the second they conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my sister was one of them. It's crazy. And so if you get good grades in lower school, you can get in a good junior high, and then if you if you study your butt off, then you can go to good high school. And then in high school, if you you know make a 4.4 GPA and you take three AP and you do 19 extracurriculars, you bust your ass, then you're going to get a good college. And then when you go to college, if you make really good grades, then you can go and get a graduate degree, and then you can get a good job, and then you can start making some money, and then you can right. get married, and then you can buy a house in the burbs, and then you can get two cars, and then you can buy a lake house, and, and then you'll be happy. Right. And then you'll be happy, right? right? It's like, I want to be happy right freaking now. You know what I mean? And that's what these kids are saying. They're like, that's bullshit. Yeah. I want to be happy now. And guess what? When I cut myself, I don't feel the pain that I feel during that. Yeah. When I smoke this joint, I feel fucking great. You know what I mean? I'm happy right now. I'm not going to wait 20, 30 years from now and bust my ass. And so that's what happens is kids are like, screw that. I want to be happy right now. Now. How do we prevent that? If we had counselors in school starting early on and we made mental health like a core curriculum, which is what we do at the Newport Academy Day School, right. is that we wouldn't have this need to escape because well, and if, yes, we'd be and talking if, about these emotions and not shoving them down. And if we could somehow counter this American concept that things are going to, outside things are going to make us happy. I mean, because it's a lesson, even when you're aware, even when you're in recovery, when you meditate twice a day, when you're in therapy, when you know this, you have to remind yourself at every turn, wow, okay, I got this thing I thought it was going to make me happy. Oh, yeah. Nothing outside of myself is going to make me happy. Right. So can you imagine if you were like teaching little six-year-olds like little messages like that? That would be awesome. So maybe what's next for me is I'm going to, I'll start an elementary school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Newport... Academy preschool. Preschool. You heard it here first. Will you send okay. your kids? We send your kids. Yes, right. yes. My future children are all going to Hey, so that was Jameson Monroe, Newport Academy recovery advocate. Check him out. Find him. He's an interesting guy. Hope you liked him.